0: As Dave Wurtzen concludes our study, Living in the Lion's Den, with Daniel chapter 12, verses 4 through 13, let's see if we can unseal some of the truth that Daniel sealed up when he put the clay closure on his parchment scroll. How many have ever heard the American proverb, you can't teach an old dog new trick? The idea of a proverb that they grow out of commonly accepted human wisdom And kind of general observations about life. But one of the realities is sometimes those observations really aren't true. For example, it isn't true that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I'm going to prove that to you this morning. How many of you that are over 30 are on Facebook? In fact, I want you to know that Facebook was founded about five years ago by Zuckerman as a Harvard University student. He actually did it just to network his friends. It was a cascading phenomenon among the younger folks. I want you older folks to know that if you're really with it, you're not on Facebook, you're Twittering. And most of you don't know what Twittering is, and that shows that you're over 30. But Facebook has now grown to over 150 million, and the most powerful demographic that has taken over Facebook, as this cartoon in Time Magazine brings out, is the over 30 crowd. Moms and dads have taken over it, and that's because they've lived it a little bit longer, and they forgot who they went to high school with. They're getting the beginnings of Alzheimer's, so they need to be able to go cascading through their 200 friends that might show up for their funeral and remember their names. And so there's a lot of reasons why this is taking place. My point is, you can teach an old dog new tricks. But there is one dog that's old and young that you can't teach any tricks, and that's a proud dog. And the big issue that we close the book of Daniel today is whether I'm a proud old dog or whether you're a proud young or old dog, and will you listen not to a new trick, but will you have a soft heart towards what God wants to say to you? As you open up to Daniel chapter 12, verse 4 and following, we're going to finish the book of Daniel. Let's turn there. And Daniel begins, how many of you ever feel that life is just running this way and running that way? Anybody ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like, how many of you have felt that the way this week? You've just been running here, running there. Well, I got good news for you. Daniel was told by the Lord as he finished this book that life was going to be an endless that was going to be a rat race, that continued. Not an endless one, but one that just goes on and on and on. You say, Dave, where do you get that? Look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. It says, um, but you, Daniel, this is an angel speaking to Daniel, but Daniel, I want you to close up and I want you to seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. What it's saying is that the revelation to Daniel has just about come to its close. Daniel, if he's using a parchment scroll, is putting the last strokes on the parchment scroll. What you would do in the ancient world is you would roll it all up, and then you would seal it with clay. And that would be to preserve it. It would be to keep it. In fact, you would also often have two scrolls, one that would, you would not seal, but it would be open so you could read it on a regular basis. In this case, it would be God's people that were reading the prophecy of Daniel. And then you'd also have a sealed scroll that would preserve it. So as the angel tells Daniel this, there's an element of this is very strategic, important revelation that it's come to you as a a great gift from the Lord, you need to seal it. You need to preserve it. And praise God they did it. Amen? We're able to read it this morning. So it worked. You know, here we are. You know, Daniel's writing in the beginning of the Persian Empire. We're living in the 21st century, and Daniel did a good job of sealing it and preserving it. There's also an idea in the idea of sealing it and preserving it is in the idea of ceiling, there's a little bit of idea of hiddenness. And the idea is that there will be a lot of people that will run to and fro, and they won't listen at all to what Daniel revealed. And so I want you to know that if you're here this morning and you have a receptive heart, you have an open heart, then you're in a group that's not a proud, old, or young dog. You're a humble, receptive listener. And that's what all of us want to be this morning. And that's part of this idea of sealing. The Lord seals up his word to preserve it so that receptive listeners, so that hearts that want to respond will respond. He said, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Daniel, had the time of the end that Daniel is talking about is what we learned about in our last time together where we had at the end of chapter 11, beginning with verse 35, it began to describe the career of Antichrist. It really focused on the last three and a half years of a final time in the history of God's physical people in Israel where a great Western leader flowing out of the fourth empire is going to promise the children of Israel, the Jewish people, you're going to be safe. I'll provide security for you. I'll provide prosperity for you. They'll believe him. For three and a half years, that seems to have worked really good. The covenant, the treaty that was made, really worked. And then he sets up, in what I believe is a restored temple in Jerusalem, a horrible, devastating, idolatrous worship. It is an abomination. It is profanity, from God's perspective, that produces emptiness that produces the idea of the abomination of desolation. I've heard that phrase from the time I was small. small. What in the world does abomination mean? Something that's abominable means that it's cursed, that it makes you sick to your stomach from God's perspective. And it's also something that's so dirty, so profane, so anti-the living God, that it produces emptiness which is what all of our turning away from the Lord. One of the things Daniel wants to understand, and he's going to remind us again, is that God is the living God. So he's focusing on this horrible period at the end of the tribulation, and he's going to tell us in this section it'll last three and a half years to remind us again, and then he talks about the time of the end when the Messiah will come. Daniel is making it really clear what he told us in chapter 2, what he told us in chapter 7, and now he's concluding the book, is that in the end, the Messiah, the stone cut out without hands, that's going to invade planet Earth, is going to come back. That's the end that Daniel is being talked to about. He says, there will be in the time of the end until the time of the end. In fact, the book of Revelation has the scrolls that are sealed. As you finish Revelation 5, the big questions raised, Who can open the sealed scroll? And the scroll represents the destiny of the world. What's going to happen in history? And nobody can open the scroll until the slain lamb, the lame that stood as if he was slain, stands up. And he takes the scroll, and he's the one that unseals the scroll. And the book of Revelation goes on where Daniel left off. So Daniel is telling us that eventually, at the end of time, the Messiah is going to win. But what he's told us is going to be sealed up. It's going to be preserved so that people like you will be able to listen. Then he says this, and this is very realistic. He says, many will go here and there, and they will increase. And this is a tough textual problem. Because in Hebrew, the word for knowledge and the word for wickedness, the only difference is the first letter, and it's a little flag. It's smaller than the, when you cross one half of a cross T. And so if I read one way, it's and wickedness will increase, if I read another way, knowledge will increase. I'm going to go, I think probably the text that's stronger is that knowledge will increase. But here's the idea. How many of you have noticed that from the time of Daniel and in your lives, people go to and fro. There's a restlessness. In fact, Daniel's actually picking up on a verse from Amos. In fact, let's turn over to Amos chapter eight, verse 11. And Amos was a prophet that Daniel would know of. He lived about 150 years before Daniel and the generation and before Daniel, when the northern kingdom went into captivity. And look at Amos chapter eight verse 11. He talks about this wrestling going to and fro. It says in, in Amos eight eleven, the days are coming to clears the sovereign Lord, the Lord that's in control of things, the one that's the king, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water. So we can understand a physical famine where people are hungry, where the crops have failed. But the Lord is using that imagery of you're hungry, you're thirsty, but it's not for physical food. But it's a famine for hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, stretching, searching, I mean, for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. What Amos is telling us is when he was speaking in the 8th century, he says there comes a time when people will hunger to get a voice from God. And they'll go everywhere. In fact, our society is a lot like that today. A lot of your friends are restless. They want to find out about spiritual truth. The Beatles, for example, are a powerful example of this. They went all the way to India to try to hear spiritual truth. And think about the life of the Beatles and how that progressed. The Beatles opened up a whole door of of the Maharishi Yogi. Remember all that kind of stuff? And going to gurus and all that, which has become a powerful force in our culture. The friends that you meet with in your society today as you talk to business people, People are running to and fro, and they're trying to hear a voice from the Lord. And what the Lord is saying is that you can reach a place in your heart where you'll go to and fro trying to hear God's voice, but there will be no voice given. And what Daniel's going to develop in this passage is that you can become part of a group that doesn't listen. And if you don't listen, then you start doing things that are wicked, And at first, it doesn't have too much of a hold on your life, but then it gets more and more of a hold on your life, and eventually, you can't hear anymore. It's a very powerful idea, and it's really the way life is. And that's what Daniel's saying. He he begins this passage by telling us, as he closes the book, that there's going to be a rat race, that down through the centuries, people will go to and fro, and their search for knowledge is to find out the answer. One of the quests that as a young person you can go on is I'm going to find the answer. Like I'm going to go to university. I'm going to go you know, over and study at Cambridge or wherever it might be and that's where I'm going to find the secrets to life. When what the book of Daniel is saying is that the essence of knowledge, the essence of what's true is what you learned when you're a little bitty kid. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And a little humble child will get it And an erudite guy like Einstein searches all of his life. He had a hunger for spiritual things. He wasn't an atheist. He was hungering for what was beyond. But as far as I know, I don't think he ever found it. The most brilliant man of the last century hungered all of his life for knowledge, spent all of his life, walked to Princeton every day, taught students, studied in the lab, worked on mathematical problems, trying to find, in fact, he spent most of his life proving that God didn't throw dice, like in quantum mechanics, it looks like God's just playing Russian roulette. Einstein had a passion to prove that there was an orderly, ultimate being out there. He spent all of his life searching But he wouldn't really believe his Jewish scriptures like Daniel. He didn't really believe Daniel 12 that says, Hey, knowledge is going to increase. Einstein, you're one of the major proponents that caused knowledge to increase. But you didn't listen. Men will go to and fro. This is really important that you talk to people. It will give you great confidence. As I talked to you this morning, your culture puts a whole lot of emphasis on me as a teacher. The big emphasis in America, what do we hear all the time? We need better teachers. Have you ever heard that? And we need to award our really gifted teachers. In America, if students fail, whose fault is it? It's a teacher's fault. In fact, you worship a powerful, strong teacher. When I teach Oriental students, like for example, at the seminary when Oriental students were in my class, they have a totally different cultural ethos. They don't hold that if they don't get the material that it's my fault as a teacher. Guess whose fault they think it is? Their own fault. Because in a Japanese culture, the pressure is not on the teacher can be boring as old, you know, mildewed old bread. But the student is there to learn. And they better get it. And Daniel is telling us something real important as he moved into this next thing. He's saying that you need to come to the end of your power in this restlessness. If you stay arrogant, if your ears remain closed, then you're going to run to and fro and you'll never hear. But the Lord is trying to work in you To bring you to the end of your power. In fact, what Daniel says is the reason for the last three and a half years of the tribulation period is God needs to bring his Old Testament holy people that he's now brought back to the land, just like he promised he would. But he needs to bring them to the end of themselves. Let me use Israel today. Most Israelis, over 90% of Israelis today could care less about not the New Testament, but the Old Testament. Most Israelis know the Old Testament cold, but it doesn't make any difference in their lives. Like, I have late at night had Bible trivia with Israelis, and they could compete with anybody that has their PhD at Dallas Seminary and win. They know the Old Testament cold, they study it from the time they're kids. One of my Israeli guides started in northern Israel. Up by Mount Hermon and walked to every city, every town in Israel, reading the scriptures all the way down to Beersheba in the south. Incredible knowledge of the scripture. But he doesn't really believe it. He doesn't really let it change his life. He doesn't get it. Jesus said, He liked to said to the Pharisees, Haven't you read? Well, they knew it cold. You say, Well, Dave, where are you getting this from? The next section, Daniel has the angels talk to him. He sees this great revelation of these mighty angels that are up above the Tigris River. And he uses the word that usually used of the Nile. And that reminds a Jewish reader that the same God that delivered us out of Egypt and delivered us through the Red Sea and took us to the Promised Land, he's still at work in our life. And so even the word that Daniel uses for the river and these angels that are giving this great revelation to him. It's a very dramatic scene. He's on the Tigris River. It's a great big river like the Mississippi. And he sees these incredible angelic beings in a vision and they talk to him. Look what they say. It says in Daniel 12 verse 5. Look, Daniel goes on. He says, Then I, Daniel, looked and there before me stood two others. These are two other angelic beings. One on this bank of the river. So one was on one side of the river and the other was on the opposite side of the river. One of them said to the man clothed in linen. The angels started having a conversation among themselves. who was above the waters of the river. So there's one of them. There's one on one side, one on the other, and then one above the middle of the river. Very dramatic scene. How long will it be before these astonishing things, these marvelous things are fulfilled? How long is it going to be before all these wondrous things, these powerful things, Antichrist and the Messiah coming back and God setting up his kingdom on earth? How long is it going to be till all these things are fulfilled? It's a good question. Then he's going to answer it. The man clothed in linen said this. He was above the, water of the river. Lifted up his right hand. Lifted up his left hand. In a Jewish culture, if I wanted to say, you can count on what I'm going to say, I raise my hand and say, I... Swear on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that would be like, you know, I put my hand in the Bible. It's the equivalent of putting your hand in the Bible, okay? If you put both hands up in the air, and it's an angelic being that does it, what do you think that means? It means you can count on what I'm going to tell you. He says, I swear by the living God with both hands up in the air. He says, he lifted up his right hand and his left hand toward the heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever. The phrase for the name of God is the living God. One of the great realities of the Old Testament and what Daniel's been teaching us is that God is alive. You see, there's an idea in the world that you make up your own God, that there's many different gods. As you travel around the world today, a very accepted idea is that there's all these gods. In fact, at the perspectives class, for example, one of the major things they've been trying to get across to us, they even began to it as far as missions, is there's a great animosity against mission. The idea of taking the gospel in all the world. If you go to a university and talk about the history of mission, you're going to get laughed out of the class. Because the idea is the Hindus have thousands of gods. And it's great what the Hindus do. And it's marvelous the religious faith they have. And then there's Islamic people that live. Like if you go to see Slumdog Millionaire, You're going to have, it's all about the names, Jamal. What do you think Jamal is? He's not Hindi. He's what? Jamal is what? He's Islamic. So in Mumbai, as they tell you about the slums of Mumbai, the story is about a lot of Islamic kids. And their names tell you they're Islamic kids. And the idea is, I don't want to go to Mumbai and tell the kids in the slums about Jesus Because Jesus is for Americans, and he's our cultural God. Why would Hindis, why would Islamic people need Jesus? Well, slum millionaires will give you a really strong reason why. One of the most powerful scenes is when a bunch of Hindis come charging out of the city into the slums and hit Jamal's mom right in the head with a big club, and you see her dead in the water. Why? Because the Hindi's gods don't teach you, don't murder. That you can't force faith. That it has to be a personal decision. Where do you think those ideas, where did it come from to turn your other cheek? You need to love your enemies. Do good for those that persecute you. How many of you have ever heard those things? You think they're true? Oh, they're only true for you. They're only true for a, a Texan's. You don't want to go anywhere and tell people that. Well, brothers and sisters, your early pioneer, like William Carey, went to, went to India and didn't believe. Hindis are great. Islam is great. There's a practice in India where they, when you, your husband died, ladies, when your husband died, they put your husband on a bier down by the Ganges River and they piled a bunch of branches put your husband's body on the branches. And as the fire consumed your husband, they took you as his wife and they burned you with your husband. All religions, just the same. It was your Christian brothers and sisters teaching the revelation of the word of God. And William Carey, as an old man, finally got the word that that practice has been outlawed. So the idea in this passage is that there is a revelation, and God has spoken, and it's for all men, and you need to decide whether you will listen, whether you'll have a soft heart, and that's what Daniel is expressing. The angel says it will be for a time, time, a half a time, when the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. And I heard, but I did not understand, so I asked the Lord, what will be the outcome of all all this? And I want you to see the phrase, it's going to be for three and a half years until the power of God's holy people have been broken. What in the world does that mean? Well, one of the things that Daniel means is that the Antichrist is going to persecute God's people in the worst tribulation that's ever taken place, which is horrible for me to teach that. And I taught to you about the trials and the tribulations that we face. And so as you go out this week, one of the things that Jesus is telling you is you're going to face trials and tribulation. Now, what is God doing in those trials and tribulation? As the pressure is put upon you, it reveals what's in your heart. One of the great realities of Scripture is that God, at the end of time in the tribulation period, he starts to put the pressure on his people. He allows Antichrist freedom to do the diabolical things. And what is he doing? He's breaking the power of God's people. That's a very prayerful thing. I need my power broken this morning. As you sit there this morning, a whole lot of you think, I can do it. I've got it figured out. I can make this church go. I can make my family go. I can make my job go. If you go to Washington, you're going to hear, we can do it. We've got a degree in economics from Harvard. And then all the country singers say, we're tired of the guys down on Wall Street. They don't know the foggiest idea what they're doing. Because our Ford trucks are not going to be produced anymore. And I'm really angry. So the country singers singing, hey, I know what the answer is. It's the country. It's getting back to just rugged cowboy stuff. The Wall Street guys are saying, hey, I know what to do. And then in Washington, they're saying, I know what to do. How many of you have heard that this week? How many of you heard somebody stand up and say, I don't know what to do. My power is completely broken. i got to get down on my knees. Because only God, only God can get us out of this incredible mess. Have you heard a lot of that? Well, that's what you need to do. There's an incredible thing about God's truth. The incredible thing about God's truth is God doesn't need our power and our strength. God says the end's going to come when the power of God's holy people is broken. Let me illustrate that to you. In Israel today, if I'm an Israeli, one of the greatest problems in the world is I now have incredible F-16s. I am a nuclear power in the Middle East. Nobody else is as strong as Israel. But I still have 40 million plus Arabs that want to kick me into the ocean. And I am a strong Israeli commando. And I drove tanks into the Sinai and devastated the Egyptian army against incredible numerical odds. And now as I lie in bed with my wife, My wife cries because we're not safe. Because a missile can come from Iran any hour of the day, any hour of the night. And as a commando, there's not a blessed thing I can do about it. I can't protect anymore. It used to be the enemy was out there. And now I send my wife just to get pizza and my kids. And a suicide bomber that's just 14 years of age walks in and blows everybody in the pizza thing away. And I don't know what to do about it. And my strength doesn't have the answer. And what Daniel's telling is something you can say, you understand what I'm talking about? You see, one of the things the United States is facing, we've marched all the way to Baghdad, victory in Iraq. And nine years later, what are we still doing? I'm not saying that you don't use power, but what I want every one of you as a, as a father of Jesus to know, as long as you say, my power is enough, I can do it. You're not going to have God's power work. And what you can't change with atomic bombs and with rifles and with jets is people's hearts. And people's hearts don't change Until they humble themselves and they listen. And that's why Jesus, the ultimate life changer, didn't come like one of these mighty archangels when he came the first time. It's why he was born in a small town and then moved to the country. It's why he just moved among everyday normal men and women. It's why he was a Galilean and not a Judean as far as his culture. You say, Dave, why was God doing all that? because I want you to get this. It's not until your power is broken. You see, as Jesus moved among men in his lifetime, the woman of Samaria had receptive ears, and her life was changed. Herod Antipas wanted to hear a word from the Lord, had the Lord an interview just before Calvary, and Jesus had nothing to say to him. Pilate had the Son of God On trial before him. Jesus even said to him, the truth is standing before you. What is truth? And Jesus says, I'm truth. If he had receptive ears, his life could have been transformed, but he didn't. Because he was part of the wicked. He was part of those that hardened their heart. And what Daniel is saying is one of God's work that he's doing in your life is he's trying to break your power. I want you to hear that. How many of you, as you sit here today, say, you know, I'm broken this morning. I don't know which way to turn. For most of you, that's the scariest thing in the world. And what I'm telling you this morning is, that's when God can begin to work in your life. Because God has to break our prideful power so that we can open up to his gracious, omnipotent, infinitely loving, eternal power. And even at the end of time, God says there's going to come a time when all the F-16s are gone, when all the nuclear weapons aren't enough, and Antichrist is just ravaging God's people, and they're going to come to the end of themselves. A whole bunch of them are going to go to the wilderness, and they're going to throw their hands up in the air, and they're going to say there's no hope. Oh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's nowhere else to turn. We're dead. And the Messiah Jesus is going to come. And they're going to look upon him that they pierced. And they will weep for him. And that's when the millennial reign of Christ will start. Because their great champion is going to come back. And is going to conquer their enemies, And we're part of that great precursor, the beginning of that ingathering. It says here, as he closes the chapter, he says, he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, repeating what we learned last time we were together, that God is using the trials that we're facing to help us to be purified, help us to be spotless, to help us to be cleansed. But he says, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. And that's what I've been hammering home to you this morning. I want to make it clear again. Daniel, this is something I've wrestled with for years. He's saying, Dave, the wicked will keep on being wicked. And the wise will get it. And that's really bothered me because it looks like, Lord, you know, that just isn't fair. As you're sitting here this morning, your response decides which group that you're in. Like there's some of you, as you listen today, you're bored to tears. Maybe your mom and dad made you come to church. Maybe your kids made you come to church if you're an adult. So as you sit here, your mind's been just going through the week, all different kinds of things you need to do and all the plans that you have. You're running to and fro. And your power hasn't been broken at all like some of you are 18 you say well my parents are the most ignorant people in the world i really know what to do i want to get out on my own i know everything well your power hasn't been broken yet you're as arrogant as you can be and some of you adults wait there's some guys here say man you know dave this religious stuff why you've been telling us is just the biggest bunch of baloney it doesn't work on wall street i've witnessed right on the treasury building right in the heart of wall street I'd scare the willies. My dad would grab a hold of me and throw me up there, and I'd go, horrible. I don't want to do this. And as I'm talking the gospel, the guys on Wall Street, when my dad was alive, we, we used to have meetings right there in Wall Street, street meetings. I hated them because that's not my personality, but I did it. Man, as I'm talking, these Wall Street guys would curse me. A bunch of them would walk away. I remember thinking, this is the stupidest thing in the world, Dad. Why are we doing this? And as a young guy, I remember thinking like, you know, what do I have to say? I look at these guys with their beautiful suits and they're rushing hither and yon. They've got the world by the tail. And my dad would say, no, you're going to let them have it. They're sinners. They need to hear what you have to say. If They mock you. Who cares? I never forget, a Jewish friend of mine loved to preach like that. Man, Marv Rosenthal, he'd jump up there and, man, he would get going, man. And, man, he'd get fighting with them back and forth. Did Wall Street need what we were saying on that by the treasury building you bet did the jewish guys need to hear that yeah brandeis university could be bankrupt by the end of this week one of the leading jewish universities you know why because they didn't think don't bear false witness don't steal don't covet one of their leading patron jewish philanthropists forgot that so what I want you to do this morning is I want you to have real confidence. God is speaking in your heart. He's been, he's been speaking it since you were a little kid. Don't covet. It's really an important thing. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't commit adultery. Don't worship false gods. Take a rest once a week. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one that can help you to be able to do that. So the wives that are here today, you have receptive ears, and you receive... And your lives are transformed. The wicked don't listen, and so they keep doing their wicked thing, and therefore they keep right on doing it, and they never turn around. You decide what it will be. Then Daniel closes with a great, great promise. He says, "For the time, from the time of the daily sacrifice of the is in the middle of tribulation and the abomination that causes waste and desolation and curse is set up, there will be one thousand two hundred ninety days." So it'll take the Lord. That's 30 days longer than a usual 30-day month, uh, month. And so evidently part of this is the Lord coming back and beginning to set up his kingdom on the earth, defeating the Antichrist. Then he adds another 45 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1335 days. And I think that's when the Lord sets up his millennial kingdom in Jerusalem Everything is established. The Antichrist, according to Revelation 20, is taken and thrown into the abyss. Satan is confined for a thousand years so he can't mess up what's going on in the earth. And then Jesus sets up his kingdom. He separates the sheep from the goats, goats like you read about in his Gospels, and... People like Daniel are raised from the dead, the Old Testament saints, and all of their promises, they're allotted inheritance. They get to be in the land of Israel like they've always wanted to be. And there's this marvelous kingdom for a thousand years. And then ultimately, God sets up an eternal kingdom. He says, Daniel, as for you, go your way. You will rest. And then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. That's what God promised to Daniel. But what a great promise today. What I want all of you to know is the Lord says to you, if you know Jesus, the Lord is saying that you're going to go to and fro, but I don't want to be restless. Here's what I want you to get in conclusion. As you sit here today, your life's going to seem like a rat race, but your Lord Jesus comes to you and says, you're going to go to and fro, but don't be restless, and don't be scared. He says this, you're going to die. In our church family right now, we're wrestling with that. We have precious, beloved brothers and sisters that's hitting you in the face with the fact that physical death is right on the doorstep. Don't run away from that. If you know those people, go and see them. Talk to them. Pray with them. You don't need to be afraid. And you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find that just like the Lord told Daniel, you're going to go and rest you're going to find out that your real brothers and sisters that actually know that the time of physical death is near, you're going to find out they want to stay with their family. They want to have all the precious love times that they can have. But they're also going to say, it's okay. I'm okay. And they know they're going to rest, which isn't something you're afraid of. If I tell you, you're going to have to rest a little while. None of you are scared about that. In fact, most of you that are over 30 on Facebook are saying, I'm ready. And what Jesus says in Daniel is, physical death is going to be read. It doesn't mean that you'll be soul asleep. Your personality will be instantly with the Lord, but this body that's broken is going to be put into the grave. But then there's going to be a resurrection day. And you're going to find that your brothers and sisters know, I'm going to be resurrected. And that's what your great hope in Jesus. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, God fulfilled his promise to Daniel. Daniel right now is still sleeping. His personality with the Lord, but his physical body is still sleeping. What God just promised Daniel is, I'm going to raise your physical body and you're going to get your slice of the land of Israel that all those Palestinians and Israelis are fighting about. And all the nations of the world are going to come. It's going to be a marvelous thousand-year reign. But I want you to know that as part of the bride of Christ, Jesus has something far more than just a little slice of land in the land of Israel for you. Ephesians tells us this. I just love this. Ephesians 1.18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, in his incomparable great power to those that believe, the incomprehensible glorious inheritance. You know what your inheritance is? Forever and ever and ever, you're going to be as close to the triune God that's imaginable. Moses was a servant over God's house, the book of Hebrews tells us. In Christ, you're a son and a daughter in the house with all rights and privileges. Amen? So if you're running to and fro, stop. Humble yourself. Choose to be some of the wise because your allotted inheritance is going to be even better than anything Daniel could imagine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you can teach both old and young dogs new revelation from your word. And I thank you that you've done that this morning. I pray that none of us would be proud dogs who don't listen, whether we be young or old. I pray that we'll let your spirit humble us. If we've been non-receptive, if our ears have been closed to the teaching of your word, I pray that we'll listen and let your spirit's voice open our ears. I'd ask you, Lord, that some of the practices of wickedness that might be beginning to close our ears. Help us to let your spirit turn us away from those. And Lord, I just pray that you would use the promise to Daniel that's an even greater promise to us that we're going to rest in physical death, but then we're going to rise again. And we're going to be living with you in the eternal kingdom, close to Jesus, in him forever and ever. I pray that that incredible good news, that incredible treasure breathes strength into us. Protect us from living for false gods that can't deliver. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring each one of us to the end of our own human power so that we can be open to your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.